That was awesome, Eric. Thank you. Uh, appreciate allowing <clears throat> us to hear what the Lord's doing in your life as you cut your grass. <laughs> Seems like uh, that happens with a lot of us all the time is cutting the grass and just have your time alone just to think and process. So appreciate your heart there. Well, it's been a crazy week. For those of you that know... <clears throat> My friend Claudia passed away uh, on Tuesday, and we ended up going down to the funeral yesterday. Jim flew us back down graciously. Lord, just the the timing of it, there has to be a plane available. His schedule has to be available, and our schedules have to be available, but um, I'm just like, okay, Lord, if it's going to work out, I guess it'll work out, and it did, so we were able to go to North Carolina yesterday morning. And I walked into the walked into the church fifteen minutes before the funeral starts, and they go, "You're second on the program." <laughs> Wait, what? Usually, when I do a funeral, uh, I meet with the family and I'm prepared. But uh, literally, I walked in right before and uh, just trusted the Lord. And guess what I did? I read the Bible to them. So uh, hopefully my friend Claudia was honored in that, and it was just a great day uh, being with their family and friends, and it was an encouragement to them for the three of us to be there, Jim and John and myself. So I appreciate your prayers and support that allows us to do that. And then like we were flying back, Big John is, he's the official RV dryer for the Tyner family and their RV, and He drives them everywhere, and he drove them down to Bristol, Tennessee, for the race. Caleb's a big NASCAR person, and so they went to the race, and so we literally had to, like, fly into Bristol Airport with the Hendricks Motorsports team and all these other planes flying in behind us and everything else and uh, land in our little Cessna airplane and get Big John and fly, and then we had to, like, drop them back off, but when we're flying back... We're sitting there going, man, it'd be cool to fly over the track. And I'm telling you, within 30 seconds, the flight control guy comes on. We're all listening on our headphones. He's like, we've got a little turbulence over the airport. We're going to fly you around out of the way. It's going to be near the track. (laughs) Wait, what? We're going to fly you over the track. Okay, he goes, would you like to see the track? And Jim's like, my friends in this plane would love to see the track. He goes, well, there's no air, there's no air traffic over the track right now. You guys just have fun over there and take as many turns as you want over the track. So it was just, you know, you, you, yeah, we did two, two laps, and then Jim went by and he waved because Keith and Danny and all of them were down there in the track. But I'm just telling you that's the way the Lord works. You know, he just... He calls into existence things that don't exist. And if you're sitting out there going, yeah, that's cool, that track thing's cool, well, he's done a lot more amazing things than that. And so uh, you just hold on because it's an adventure. And uh, I'm excited about today's passage. We're obviously uh, working our way through the Gospels. And uh, at this point, Jesus has done the transfiguration with Peter, James, and John on Mount Hermon. He's come down, 
they had the nine of them that couldn't heal the, the, the demon-possessed person. And they said, why not? And he's like, you have little faith. They're, he said to the Jews, you have little faith. And then he's like, this one took more prayer. He pulled the disciples aside, and this one took more prayer. Like, you really had to, like, trust the Father here. You just had to believe. And as the man said, help me with my unbelief. And so now he's traveling along. Uh, one of the things that I'll remind you about, as, as they were on top of the Mount Hermon and through the transfiguration, Peter said, let me build booths for you. And the reason he said that is because there were the festival of booths that was going on. This was a thing that happened six months after the Passover as they built these booths that were basically for the sacrifices. And he's like saying, so we know that it's now six months after the Passover that this occurred because Peter's like said this. So that's important for you to know as we pick up in today's story. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. And here's the interesting Here's the interesting thing about this story right here is, you know, we, we were taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, and we're chronologically sewing them together. Like today, you're going to see me jump back and forth in between the different books, but we're doing it chronologically, mainly out of A.T. Robertson's book, The Harmony of the Gospels. There's several authors that have taken the four Gospels and meshed them all together and and you can actually get books that are they're parallel the stories of matthew mark luke and john are parallel but this story right here is only in matthew it's about collecting the temple tax now let me ask you this question matthew he was one of the 12 disciples he was doing something before he was a disciple of Jesus. What was he? Matthew was the tax collector. He's the only one that put this story in the Gospels. It makes sense. It says in verse 24, when they came to Capernaum, and this is, this is remembered, Jesus' hometown, if you take the Sea of Galilee up on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, this is where he's... He's moved, he grew up in Nazareth, but they really didn't want anything to do with him there in Nazareth. But in Capernaum, they accepted him, and this became his home, almost like his home office. This is where he worked, the north part of the Sea of Galilee. It says, when they came to Capernaum, those who collected the double drachma tax approached Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the double drachma tax? Yes, he said. You see... Here's what you need to know. First of all, uh, who's, the, who's in charge of the whole nation of Israel? Governing body. At this time, it's the Romans. The Romans in charge, and everybody pays their taxes to the Romans. But what we've discovered here is there's also a temple tax that the Jews paid. The Jews paid this tax to help with Anything that need to be done in the... T- it's just like, typically you go to church now to build a church here, people contribute to that. We don't call it a tax, they call it a tithe. <laughs> but they paid a temple tax. And every Passover they had to pay half of a shekel. Half of a shekel. That would be a double drachma. 
This is all, all terms that were used back then, obviously, in the Greek form. And it says, doesn't your teacher pay that? Think about this. This is six months after the Passover, and they're coming to Peter and busting his chops for Jesus not paying his temple tax six months ago. Like, why didn't Jesus pay the temple tax in the first place? And why are they coming after him six months later? Obviously, Jesus and Peter were overdue on their taxes. It says, when he went into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, talking about Peter. Now, all of a sudden... Peter had this confrontation with the Pharisees, with the Jews, and they said, doesn't your teacher pay the tax? He said, yes, they do. Then they go into privately this house, and Jesus and Peter go into this conversation privately. And he says to them, what do you think, Simon? Who do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes from? From their sons or from strangers? You see... The Romans collected their taxes from everybody but the Romans. Anybody that wasn't born in Rome had to pay taxes. And all of a sudden, he's causing Peter to think right here. Yeah, okay, so they collect from, they collect from the strangers, not the Romans themselves. So he says, from the strangers... And then Jesus tells him this, then the sons are free. But so we won't offend them, go to the sea and cast in a fish hook and take out the first fish that you catch. When you open its mouth, you'll find a coin, take it and give it to them for me and you. Now, wait a second. Jesus or Peter just said uh, they collect taxes from the strangers. And simply, Jesus says one line. Then the sons are free. Those that are born in Rome don't have to pay taxes. I went to the temple there in Jerusalem, and I didn't pay a tax. Why? Because I am the son of God, and I don't have to pay a tax. If you're a son of God, you shouldn't have to pay the temple tax. And he's basically saying to Peter, Peter, you didn't even have to pay the temple tax, because now you're a son of God. But for their benefit, for their benefit, just go out there into the Sea of Galilee and catch a fish. Catch a fish, and in that fish, you're going to open its mouth, and there's going to be a drachma, a double drachma in its mouth, and pay the temple tax. Now, let's... Let's process this for a second, okay? First of all, this is one of the only miracles that Jesus did where there's not a there's not a conclusion to it. It's not confirmed that it happened. Jesus said, Peter, go and do this. But does it say that's what Peter did? Peter went and paid the tax? No, it doesn't say that. It just says this was a command, go and do this. So it's one of the first and only miracles that we see where there really is no end result to this and then the interesting thing about this miracle is it seems like it's for the benefit of jesus 
There's no other miracle that Jesus did that was for the benefit of him. He did all the other miracles for the benefit of others. But back up and read what it says. But so we won't offend them. He may have gotten the coin from a miracle to pay his tax, but this wasn't for his purpose. It was so the Jews wouldn't be offended. He really did this for the Pharisees and not for himself. That payment of the temple tax was actually for the benefit of the Jews. And then, here's another thing. While while Jesus didn't hesitate to break the man-made traditions of the Pharisees, I think he was very careful to obey the law of God. Like, he really didn't care about the temple tax because that was their rule. But what Jesus actually cared about was obeying the law of God. The other disciples, how they paid their tax, wasn't really clear. Jesus says, look, I'm taking care of myself and you, Peter, so go and do this. And then also about this miracle. Uh, This miracle was one of the many miracles performed for Peter. I mean, think about it. If you tell Peter to go do this and Peter goes, he's got to be flipping out, right? I'm going to catch a fish and it's going to have a coin in its mouth. And most likely he did this and it occurred. But think about this. He healed Peter's mother-in-law in in Mark chapter 1. He helped Peter, obviously, to catch this fish. He enabled him to walk in water in Matthew chapter 4. He healed Malchus's ear in Acts chapter 12 when Peter cut it off with a sword. You know, Peter's getting to experience these miracles firsthand. And when he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. He was saying that intimately. Like, I get this. This man, this man really cares for you. Because he's cared for me. And then another thing that's interesting about this, if he is the Son of God, if he is the Son of the King, he came here on earth in his deity form, and he was poor. Like, don't you think if he would have had a double drachma on him at Passover, he probably would have just like thrown it there as not to offend him there, but he didn't even have it. Like, even when they're asking for it right there, he didn't even have it. He's telling Peter, go get it out of the fish's mouth. Do you get this? The the God of all the earth that owns everything, the cattle on every hill, sent his son down here and he doesn't even have a double drachma on him. He's wealthy and became poor for our sake. And then, I could process this all day long. This is what you get for flying all day long. Uh, Adam and Eve once had dominion over the animals. Remember that? When uh, in Genesis chapter 1, God said, Adam, you're, you're in charge. Name these animals and you have dominion over them. Like literally, he would tell the lions what to do. And the lions would listen to him. And then the sin occurred 
and Adam no longer had dominion over the animals. But all of a sudden now, Jesus is showing his dominion over one fish. Think about it. Somebody literally had to drop a double drachma coin into the Sea of Galilee, and he had to get a fish to go down and put this huge coin in its mouth. Huge coin in its mouth. So now the fish has got a coin in its mouth, and then all of a sudden Peter's going to throw a fish hook in there. Not only is the fish with the coin in the mouth going to like get stuck on that hook, but it's going to be Peter the one that does that. That just blows me away that Jesus is saying, I have dominion over the animals. Adam was disobedient. He lost his dominion. Jesus is obedient to the Father, and he has dominion over the animals. It's pretty crazy. You can't explain all of this in a natural way. It's too complex for an accident to happen. And so, that's just crazy how the Father can take this one little example right here and show Peter, look, I care about you in a major way. I care about you. And then uh, we go to Mark chapter 9, verse 33. This story actually took place again after the transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And obviously, uh, remember this, those three are the ones that were selected and they got to go up on, on top of the mountain and see this they got to really see the glory of God as a precursor. And so Peter, James, and John come down, and the other nine, what are the other nine doing? They're down there, and they're in this argument because they can't heal this demon-possessed mute. And so Jesus does all this. He heals the demon-possessed mute. He does the whole temple tax thing with, with Peter. And then they're walking along, and watch this, in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. It says, Then they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you guys arguing about on the way here? The twelve, the 12 disciples uh, obviously were discussing among themselves and having an argument according to Jesus. It says, but they were silent because on the way they had been arguing with one another about which one was the greatest one. <laughs> I love this. Jesus obviously sees what's going on. He sees that they're arguing. He probably even knows what they're arguing about. And he asked them, what were you guys arguing about? And this was their response. Does that happen at home? You hear what I'm talking about? I mean, this is like Jesus looking at his kids going, all right, what were you guys talking about? I'm not saying. I'm not, I'm not throwing them under the bus. They're not throwing me under the bus. They sat there in silence. And obviously, they were talking about which one of us is the greatest. They are still, at this point, very immature in their thinking, and all they're thinking about is themselves. And literally, Jesus is like trying to get them to move past themselves. When Christians are living for themselves and not for others, I guarantee you there's bound to be conflict. I guarantee you there's bound to be division. 
I've grown up in the church and watched it my whole life. When you have your own agenda, there's going to be issues. And obviously, they had their own agenda. So now they've had this argument, which one of us is greater, Peter, James, and John. They're like, hey, we're one of the top three. We got to go up there, you other nine. You got left behind, but we got to experience something good. Didn't Jesus say, hey, I don't want you to talk about this when you come down off the mountain? This is probably one of the reasons Jesus said that. So I don't want to cause it. But obviously, there's a pride issue that's going on here now. There's a pride issue that has occurred. Let me jump to Matthew 18, 2, 5 in the same story says this, Then he called a child to him and had him stand among them. He, he brought a kid right there between him and the 12 guys. And he said, I assure you, unless you're converted and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, Whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. Here's why he did that. First of all, you bring a child up and they really have no status. Right? They may be the child of of a parent, and that's the only status that they have. As they get older, we get statuses. Oh, they're a kindergartner. They're first grade. Oh, they're student council president. Oh, they're on the football team. Oh, you begin to get all these statuses as you go in life, but Jesus literally takes this child who has no status and says, hey guys, look at this right here. This is the most important thing right here. An unspoiled child has the characteristics that make for humility. The characteristics where they become dependent upon others. The desires, you know, a child likes to make others happy. That's the whole deal. They don't boast about themselves. And Jesus is saying, if you guys want to figure this thing out, be like this child right here. Mark 9.35 says this, Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If we've got a pride issue going on right now, you guys want to know who's the greatest? You want to know who's my favorite? You want to know who's the best? Let me tell you something. It's not about that at all. It's not about you. It's about serving others. It's about getting lower than others. You want to go out there, speak for what you deserve? Go for it. But really, it's just about serving. And that's the whole reason that I'm here, he says. And Luke 9, 48 says this, For whoever is least among you, whoever is least among you, 
this one is great. You want to talk about who's the greatest? It's the one that's the least. Figure that one out, church. Figure that one out. Then uh, we get to the next story. is in Mark 9, 38. John said to him, oh, here we go. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. <laughs> like, we just had a lesson. We just had a lesson in being humble. And John's like sitting here like going, guess what we did? <laughs> you know? We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we stopped them. John, I could just see, I could just see it. I, Jesus probably wanted to tap him on the shoulder. Weren't you the guys that like couldn't heal the demon just a little bit ago, and I had to come down and do that for you? Yet these people are healing, casting demons out. How quickly, how quickly they forget this whole thing. Like John's like saying. Hey, look, dude, you're not one of the 12. You're not one of the elite three. You really can't be doing this. On the heels of them not being able to do it. And Jesus says this, don't stop him. Because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. If you're going to pray in Jesus' name for a miracle to happen and a miracle actually happens in Jesus' name, I promise you, you won't speak anything bad about him again. It says, for whoever is not against us is for us. Look, if they're if they're doing this in my name, they're on our team. We're together in this. I get that you tw- you 12 are hanging out with me and everything, and you're, you're my disciples, but look, we're trying to make this bigger than you 12. It says, And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of my name, since you belong to the Messiah, I assure you, he will never lose his reward. Now, I say all this because uh, I don't say it, he says it, but I, I break this down with you because I've grown up in Christendom. I've grown up in churchology. I've grown up and I've, wa- I've watched in denominational church that denomination be divided and divided and divided. Divided over Mickey Mouse, divided over uh, saving Jews. Div- I mean, you name it, we'll, we'll have a division. I've watched it. And this is really what John is like saying. He's like, hey, look, they're not the same as us. And Jesus is like saying, yeah, they are because they're doing it in my name. It comes down to this. I... I I would say that uh, I like to say that I'm very kingdom minded. 
And if you, you believe in the virgin birth, that Jesus was born of a virgin, and you believe that Jesus came here on earth in human form, that, and he was still God, and you believe that Jesus died on a cross, and you believe that Jesus was resurrected, we're good. We're good. You hear me? We're good. I, I get it. I get it that we, right here in this room, probably teach from a different perspective than others around us. I get that. That doesn't make them bad and us good. We're on the same team. I am for those churches that are teaching Jesus. That are teaching that Jesus came as the Son of God, that He climbed up on a cross, that He died for our sins, His blood was poured out, it, it, it forgave our sins, and He was resurrected. I'm on that Jesus team. That's my team. I'm there. I get it that we're going to differ beyond that. Our theo- Even in this room right here, I can hang out with you in here, and our theologies are going to be different. We get down to it, we break it down, we're going to like disagree on different things. But I promise you, what Jesus is saying right here, John, there should be no competition in the body of Christ. We're all in this thing together. We're on the same team. In verse 42 it says, But whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believes in me. Still got this child here. It would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Like it's one thing to teach Jesus, but it's another thing to distort what I've come here. He says, and if your hand causes your downfall, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell. The unquenchable fire. And then he quotes the Old Testament where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I don't understand the whole worm thing. Like, that's supposed to be the torture part. If you don't like worms, I get it, but uh, I don't know. But it says the fire is not quenched. That tells me that there is going to be a punishment. It says, and if your foot causes your downfall, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. The unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes your downfall, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Look, Jesus in that sense right there is not necessarily being literal. What he's saying is this, is sin is like cancer. My friend this week just died of cancer. She took that battle for 17 years. She battled cancer. Constantly, constantly 
having procedures done where they were removing different parts, tumors and things like that from her body so that she could live. And literally what Jesus is saying right here is if the sin is the issue, it needs to be removed. It would be better to get rid of it. Whatever it is. He's not literally saying go cut your hand off. Although, that would be better than suffering in hell. He says, For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you make it salty? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. I think I'll finish on that right there. Uh, Are you salty? We, that's that's become another term for recently that's kind of are you salty like do you have an attitude that's not really what we're asking here is well, well here's what you have to understand is the Jews the Jews were not allowed to put leaven or honey on their sacrifices but they were commanded to put salt on their sacrifices you go to Leviticus chapter 2, verses 11 13, and it says that. To put salt on your sacrifices, because salt speaks of purity and preservation. It preserves. Watch this. If it preserves, then it becomes a symbol of incorruptible things. It keeps it from corrupting. It preserves it. It's obviously used in the Old Testament days in the establishment of covenants. Jesus like saying, you put salt on your sacrifice because it preserves it and makes it incorruptible. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, are you salty? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Guys, you've got to stop arguing among yourselves. You've got to become like this child. It isn't about any status. It isn't about pride. It's about being humble. It's about becoming a witness for me. You add flavor to people's lives when you're salt. Are you salty? Are you adding flavor to people's lives? Or are you more concerned about your own selfish desires? We live in a world that deals with uh, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of activity, a lot of things. And I guarantee you one of the greatest cures that you'll ever find for that right there is taking the focus off of yourself and figuring out how to serve others how to help others, how to love others, 
how to love those that are unlovable. Walk with that one this week. Lord, how do I learn to love the unlovable? How do I be salt? How do I add flavor to this message? Lord, I pray that uh, you would do that this week. I thank you for your, your, your 12 disciples in their early stages and just watching them learn and watching them process and watching them even fail. Yet you, you loved them and you cared for them. That you, and you do the same thing for us when we blow it. When we can't even, we're so focused on our stinking selves that you just care for us, and you remind us that we are holy, we're redeemed, and that we're forgiven. And honestly, that's how we live out our lives. So, Lord, I pray that you would just unpack that with us this week. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, just to study your word, just to be together as friends and family. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.